Hello, everybody. Welcome on this cold, wet, and miserable evening. It's lovely to see you all here. So, very, very warm welcome from us here at the um, IAS, the Institute of Advanced Studies at UCL. My name is Tamar Garb, and I'm really happy to preside over this evening's event and to welcome Anselm Franke here um, to UCL to say a few things about Anselm and then a little bit about the format of the evening, and then I'll hand over. Um, I've been following Anselm's work as a curator at the House of World Cultures in Berlin for some years. Um, I first saw his extraordinary show, uh, Ape Culture, um, in 2015, which actually I think was the first encounter that I made with his work, although that was by no means the first incredibly interesting and important show that he's been involved in um, organizing. But I was struck at that point about something so, um, to me, unprecedented and innovative in relation to curatorial practice. And that was the way in which Anselm and his team um, really were not cowed by disciplinary conventions and protocols and boundaries and think very much beyond those by taking a challenging idea or concept or trope or representational figure um, and working with it in whichever way seems appropriate, uh, bringing together in incredibly lively and interesting juxtapositions all sorts of manifestations of material and visual culture and text and philosophy, speculative um, reasoning and writing, and finding a way to construct an environment in which one um, inhabits, or which one inhabits and actually rethinks things in fundamental ways. So in the primate um, exhibition, the Ape Culture exhibition, there was there was film, there was painting, there was uh, you know Darwinian reflection, there was evolutionary theory, there was so-called science and art, all interwoven in ways that were extraordinarily productive. And that's just exemplary, really, of the kind of curatorial work that Anselm has become known for and that the House of World Cultures in Berlin has become one of the prime sites for in terms of articulating thinking with objects, material culture, um, text and image in ways that are really expansive and open our minds. And of course, film is integral too to Anselm's work. He's been um, involved in curating and working on film programs and in the Department of Visual Arts and Film at the House of World Culture um, for some time. So film is absolutely intrinsic uh, to the way that um, he thinks and sees the world. And it's always interesting to see what kinds of choices um, he's, he, he makes. So other, sort, other projects he's been involved in, I'll just briefly mention for those of you who are not familiar with the work or haven't had the opportunity to um, visit House of World Cultures and see some of these groundbreaking exhibitions. Um, the most uh, recent, as far as I'm aware, is Parapolitics, Cultural Freedom and the Cold War, although there might be something after that as well. That was 2017-2018, which explored the relationship between ideology and artistic freedom through an investigation into the CIA's funding of arts organizations um, during the Cold War. Um, before that, there was an exhibition called Nervous Systems in 2016. There was Ape Culture, as I said, in 2015. Um, uh, a project around forensics called Forensis in 2014. Um, and before that, The Whole Earth and After Year Zero um, in 2013. The most recent exhibition that I saw was Neolithic Childhood, and I think we have the book here that um, Anselm's going to talk a, a bit about this project, um, which was really an interesting foray into the writing and thinking and theory of Carl Einstein, who's a sort of, not quite an academic art historian, but a thinker with philosophy and art, and um, who, who formulated a way of uh, trying to 
uh, imagine the world as a global landscape through which art is produced and all sorts of issues around world culture, the primitive uh, notions of the child as well as other cultures came into uh, interesting dialogue in this extraordinary collection of um, 180 artworks and about 600 archival sources all combined together in this incredible exploration. So one of the things that's absolutely foundational to Anselm's work is his engagement with the archive. Um, he and his team, and he works together collectively with uh, a whole group of people who uh, perform a kind of scholarly excavation and then bring these objects to um, visibility, often things that we had not uh, seen before, even though we might have heard about them. So the archive is really central to his curatorial um, practice, and his engagement with history is very much of a material kind. So I'm immensely excited to hear what he has to say about curatorial turbulence. Um, tonight, uh, he will participate in an ongoing series of discussions that we're having here in the IAS around the theme of turbulence. It's one of our strategic themes for the year. We have uh, two themes going on at the moment, one around turbulence, the other around, around laughter. And you might have something to say about both. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll wait and see. Um, but we have various panels and discussions and conversations going on throughout the year about both, both those themes. Um, the idea of turbulent curatorial practice, though, is something quite interesting. And I am fascinated to hear what you're going to do with that. Um, we, we often think of turbulence as something so destabilizing and unsettling that it throws us completely and knocks us off our, um, you know, out of our secure comfort zones. But is there something to be said about the merit? Uh, are there any merits to be had in thinking uh, uh, the curatorial practice in relation to turbulence, in relation to a whole series of movements which are unpredictable uh, um, so that we don't know where they might go? These are the sorts of ideas that were coming to mind when we invited Anselm to come and talk with us about his work, particularly about Neolithic childhood, but about his work in general, and thinking through the category of turbulence. And afterwards, we are lucky enough to have two respondents, Aisha Hamid from Goldsmiths College, who is an artist and a curator slash critic slash writer, not so much curator, but more critic writer. Um, I always think that everybody now curates everything from dinner parties to whatever. Um, so we're all curators now, but um, in, in essentially a writer and an artist. So really excited and, and uh, works in, at Goldsmiths in the visual cultures uh, department. And Lana Apsi Gogarty here from the Slade, um, a UCL graduate and now recently appointed um, at the Slade in the theory department. So uh, Aisha and Lauren will, will come on board and ask questions and make some observations after we've heard Anselm. So over to you. <coughs> Thanks so much for having me tonight and for coming out. And um, yeah, a special warm thanks to Tamar for this humbling introduction and to Albert, um, as well as to Aisha and Lauren for agreeing to uh, respond and be in conversation later. Um, I have uh, to make uh, an announcement in advance. Not all of my captions and uh, so on are in place in this presentation since um, I have two little babies at home. They've been sick for a whole week, <laughs> like <laughs> turbulent. Like, um, so uh, I, I apologize for that, but it's more or less uh, in place, just not. Um, uh, in an ideal shape. Um, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is, 
I, I first basically run you through the exhibition Neolithic Childhood Art in a False Present, circa 1930, um, which is uh, a project I conceived with Tom Hollard in dialogue with a working group among who are uh, some uh, notable alumni of this uh, place here, uh, and Jenny Nachtigall and Kerstin Starkemeyer. Um, the others are um, Irena Albers from Berlin and Susanne Leib from Berlin, um, who also have significant contributions in the publication. Um, so this exhibition was uh, actually going back to 2012, uh, to the fourth edition of uh, the fourth chapter of a fourth manifestation of a touring exhibition I was um, developing over uh, four, four or five years, uh, uh, simply called Animism. Um, and when that project came to Berlin, to the Haus der Kulturen der Welt, which was before I was institutionally installed there as the head of department uh, of the exhibitions program, um, I uh, included a, a kind of uh, vitrine display of uh, um, uh, typoscripts um, from the Einstein archive at the Akademie der Künste, um, particularly from the so-called Einstein monograph on Georges Braque. Um, and I simply chose pages from that typoscript in which uh, Einstein discusses the term animism in uh, uh, sometimes surprising uh, ways, for instance, coming up with a formulation such as formal animism, which in the exhibition was aligned with um, a concept by Sergei Eisenstein uh, in relation to his uh, film project in Mexico um, at, in the early 30s and his writings on Walt Disney called, uh, where he spoke of a formal ecstasy um, in relation to uh, the animated line. Um, of um, um, <coughs> Disney and his own uh, drawing practice. Um, so Karl Einstein's monograph on Georges Braque isn't a monograph, and this exhibition also wasn't a monographic exhibition on Einstein, but he sort of served as the backdrop and the resource for this project. He, uh, we were basically deriving um, most of the problems, themes, keywords, motives, tropes from mostly his later unpublished work. Um, <clears throat> here you have a portrait of Einstein in the uh, late phase of his life. Uh, Einstein uh, uh, on the left uh, in Barcelona um, before embarking uh, to become a member of the Doruti column in the Spanish Civil War. Um, four years later, he would uh, uh, commit suicide at the French-Spanish border in the Pyrenees, um, a few weeks apart from Walter Benjamin while uh, fleeing from the German troops. Um, the exhibition took its title from an essay uh, Einstein wrote on uh, Hans Arp um, that was published in uh, Document. Um, of which Einstein had become a co-editor, co-founder, um, along with uh, Georges Bataille and others, um, <coughs> after he moved or relocated from Berlin to Paris in the late 20s, um, 27 to be exact. Mm. 
and I'll, I might get to talk a bit about the essay uh, itself. For now, it's just the title of the exhibition was derived from that rather unique essay, which, uh, as Sebastian Zeidler describes in the pub publication here, um, is sort of symptomatic or paradigmatic for Einstein's rather wild, transgressive, transdisciplinary uh, um, style of writing, combining um, <clears throat> art history, uh, speculative thinking, uh, autobiography, poetry. Parts of the essay are in fact part of uh, uh, Bebocan II, which is an uncompleted second part to a novel he had published in the, uh, just before uh, the First World War with significant success. Uh, before he sort of turned from being a poet and writer of uh, considerable fame um, uh, to, to uh, an art writer. Um, Einstein's entry into art writing um, was the relatively spectacular uh, and controversial from today's point of view, certainly uh, uh, Negaplastic, Negoplastic from uh, 1915 which he later revised uh, and republished as African uh, sculpture in a series of books that are also going to be seen in a second. Um, this exhibition took place as part of a series uh, on, uh, uh, of which this parapolitics exhibition that Tamar has introduced was also part, which uh, is a series of exhibitions uh, um, trying, to, trying to find new perspectives on uh, how we are currently you know, dealing in institutional work with uh, the 20th century canon. Um, so this, this series is called Canon Fragen in the German. Um, and Einstein was an obvious choice here, um, not merely, merely because of this uh, um, you know, difficult to contain um, uh, this limitation, uh, debordering, um, transgressive quality of his work, um, which led us to you know, call him an extra academic um, writer uh, or art historian, for that matter. Um, <clears throat> but also because, in a way, the the the, the volume that he has published for the Propylaean art history, um, kind of. Probably known to most of you as you know, stable household item in in every good bourgeois household. Um, in 1926 um, was in a way the very first canonization of uh, um, what then would become classical modernism, um, the art of the 20th century, um, which he republished in three editions. Uh, um, uh, 28, second, um, 31, um, the uh, third edition. Um, and the early 30s, in a way, were for Einstein, um, when he's published this, this third edition, uh, his essays in Document, um, as well as the monograph um, on Georges Braque that isn't a monograph, um, were the last works he really published. Um, and the remaining seven, eight years of his life, he sketched a vast amount of projects, none of which he managed to complete. Um, and which are also uh, 
incredibly um, contradictory to some degree. Like he was uh, working on uh, a project that was giving the, that was sort of the, uh, the ouverture, the, the template for the first part of the exhibition. Um, the impossible expansion of history that was uh, the entry chapter of the exhibition, um, which was uh, a, a kind of um, landscape, archival landscape, very bibliophile, um, dealing with the uses of prehistory, dealing with the functions of the figure of the primitive, um, and dealing with the expansion of art history at the time um, to become um, a global art history um, to cover the arts of all people, of all times, of all places. Um, and within that context, Einstein had conceived of a version of such a history himself, um, which he had uh, entitled The Handbook of Art. Not the Handbook of Art History, simply the Handbook of Art. And um, what remains of this uh, book um, project um, formed the backdrop of the uh, first part of the exhibition. Um, that's what you see here on the blue wall, as well as in the vitrine here. Um, just to quickly explain how the exhibition worked, um, so you can see that on the, on, the, on the vitrine there are kind of index numbers. Um, and uh, people uh, visiting the exhibition were basically given what we called a manual, which in expanded form is included in that publication, um, where each of these index numbers, as well as each numbered exhibit within that vitrines, um, uh, each of the vitrines has an introductory text. Not all of the exhibits have uh, extended captions, but uh, a lot of them. Um, so you were walking around the exhibition with that sort of um, uh, the manual um, which would provide you uh, with um, you know, uh, stable information on the one hand, as well as with a train of thought that was hopefully turbulent. <laughs> um, now, the Handbook of Art, the basic um, premise of that project was um, to, to reintegrate art history, which Einstein conceived of, of as a, um, a very limited project, one that took the notion of art um, for granted, although it is a very recent historical product, uh, and projected it um, unduly onto everything else. So to reinsert, to undo to a certain degree, art history by, by inserting it into a, a cultural histories was the main uh, premise of uh, the Handbook of Art project. So now th there isn't, except of a few hundred pages and this kind of montage or cut-ups that you see in the vitrine here, um, there isn't actually that much um, that survived of that project. Um, <clears throat> but one of its um, what, what, what makes this project sort of uh, speak to the title of the exhibition also is um, that sort of its, uh, its key operative uh, distinction or dichotomy or opposition um, is one that he, that he places really at the beginning or the transition from the Paleolithic to the Neolithic um, 
or from uh, nomadic to sedentary cultures, from which Einstein derived this, uh, these oppositional terms, the, um, the tectonic um, and the hallucinatory or the tectonic, tectonic form versus, um, uh, he also calls it uh, the psychogram. Um, the te te tectonic basically identified with architecture, with pattern, um, with the desire to, uh, for, for stability, for permanence, um, uh, for a certain linear organization of time, um, and um, the psychogram or the hallucinatory um, as that which um, uh, is being dom domesticated by the tectonic, but also um, uh, is in permanent rebellion against it, and that opens up to the f a field of the metamorphic, which was the key obsession of his thinking um, of, um, <clears throat> of art, and the, particularly the painters that he would feature earlier in his work, um, such as the art of the 20th century. Um, Picasso, Braque, Paul Klee, very few women. Um, the exhibition was not exactly reproducing Karl Einstein's canon. This is important to note, um, with very few exceptions. Um, it was not the works that Einstein discussed, although he actually rarely discussed works, but spoke of them mostly on a kind of meta level that stages, in a way, a, a battle between what he called Gestalt and Begriff, um, Gestalt and Concept. Um, <clears throat> so even though Einstein actually discussed very few works and the, uh, the ARP essay in that uh, respect is almost uh, extraordinary because it does discuss some actual shapes, um, even if in, in the register of, child, of his own childhood memories, <laughs> um, <clears throat> we haven't been trying to reconstruct uh, an Einsteinian canon here, but have taken the liberty um, uh, to uh, expand on it, to correct it, to uh, uh, insert in it, and um, to question it. Um, in the very spirit of Einstein being a thinker who has made a turn to visual art from poetry, from writing, um, to undermine the very foundations of, um, um, of language, of um, the structuring of language through oppositions, um, and, uh, uh, and so forth. Um, so th this first part of the exhibition, the, the impossible expansion of history, uh, really began with inserting this uh, unfinished project of Einstein uh, within this landscape of uh, uh, impressive and problematic uh, uh, publications, um, publishing enterprises that were flourishing in the interwar years um, in particular. Um, <clears throat> for instance, um, here, after encountering the Popilean art history, um, 
you would uh, find two vitrines, um, one with the series Orvis Pictus, um, Weltkunstbücherei, um, which is the series um, in which Einstein would publish his revised version um, <coughs> of uh, Negerplastik, the Afrikanische Plastik. Here you see an open page of that. Um, here you see the Propylene next to Orbis Pictus, um, as well as um, you know many other of these kind of uh, uh, series that were um, often to great commercial success distributed, and that included a, a vast uh, uh, range of, of scholars um, um, covering um, increasingly. Uh, yeah, the arts of all times and all places. Um, <clears throat> now, of course, that was on the one hand a challenge to the project of art history, certainly to an art history of styles. I mean, Einstein had actually studied with Wölflin but never finished his studies. Um, <clears throat> and it was a field that was inseparable to a certain extent from ethnographic uh, um, research um, and writing, um, and it sort of opened to uh, you could say uh, you know a, a terrain of 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 rather um, wild anthropological speculations, um, and the transition in which these projects were sort of uh, positioned was one which, um, according to a kind of uh, um, suggestion of uh, Erhard Schüttpelz in regards, with regards to the development of the primitivist imaginary, was um, from a, a, a primitivism um, that had been uh, at its core or, or largely been organized by evolutionary uh, uh, ideas um, and had you know, battled these, or sort of tried to um, pave evolutionary narratives in a field of radically enlarged, in fact, bottomless genealogies um, of a deep time becoming ever deeper, of an archaeology discovering, um, um, you know, uh, almost by the day, uh, new antiquities. Um, so a, a field of genealogy that had been um, um, widened to the degree of uh, um, that, that in fact had questions all previous narratives at stake. At the transition from that paradigm of a uh, evolutionarily organized or tamed field of radically um, unruly genealogies towards interwar year primitivism that was largely or, or, or whose which the horizon of which was increasingly one of uh, of synchrony um, and uh, and that is also uh, certainly uh, the position of Einstein within that so Einstein um, was in a way a symptomatic figure of the avant-garde primitivism uh, especially through his work on African sculpture, um, but also one of its first critiques. And um, that was mainly by 
his uh, investment in inverting the premises and the assumptions um, from which um, narratives are constructed, the fundaments on which they gain st uh, stability and on the, the oppositions on which they um, are initially based. So um, inversions of these premises, um, narratives put from uh, their head on their feet, um, and uh, certainly a, uh, a strategy within his writing that is very much informed by his earlier um, um, uh, practice as a poet um, of shifting these uh, figures of uh, opposition and uh, undoing them um, uh, in a subversive manner. Um, for us, it was somehow important to touch upon this question of primitivism yet again in a time where it has almost become impossible to, uh, you know, you have some, so you, you need sort of high security glass uh, for these vitrines, no? because the content is, of course, and undoubtedly so, to a large degree, rather toxic. Um, the second sort of uh, transition that is manifest in a lot of these publication projects uh, that were on display here is that many of the authors on display there um, would in fact later uh, align themselves um, with, the, uh, with one or the other fascist projects within Europe. No? Um, and to, to, to see where exactly the, these passes were forking and um, um, for whom was one of the uh, sort of investigative uh, uh, questions of this uh, entire room. Um, <clears throat> perhaps just two examples, um, not so much, uh, or, or uh, you know, projects that we were um, sort of thinking in terms of an affinity with Einstein, um, this one very much through the work of uh, Kerstin Starkemeyer on, uh, um, on this uh, self-taught uh, art historian um, who had a, a similar project to Einstein's to a certain degree um, uh, in that she would be a self-declared Marxist but would insist that um, uh, her, her position diverts from uh, a kind of what by then might already or, or just have become an orthodox Marxism um, in, uh, by insisting um, on the role of um, uh, what, what they refer to um, more or less as uh, the role of, or in Einstein's terminology, social myth. Um, so uh, Einstein's project is deeply steeped into that question and in, in, uh, into the question of a mythopoetic uh, um, production, enrichment, or, or rupture of the real. Um, uh, Merton is very much, uh, um, uh, Merton's project is very much a project of rethinking labor and the artisanal, whereas Einstein's project is much more a project uh, uh, devoted to um, 
um, to a certain degree, sign magic um, and ritual. Um, another project that might be aligned with Einstein is that of uh, Julius Lips. Um, here, the English translation of his uh, uh, polemical book, The Savage Hits Back, uh, from 1937. Um, a book in which he assembled um, <coughs> art that had not made it or rarely made it in any of these uh, um, Weltkunst or, or proto-global art projects uh, <coughs> earlier, simply because it was deemed inauthentic. Um, <coughs> are <coughs> art uh, in which Europeans were being portrayed um, uh, and uh, the, the, the title is both uh, referring to, uh, to that as well as uh, um, basically uh, Lips himself uh, putting himself into this position of the savage and addressing himself to the National Socialists uh, um, who uh, had just forced him to emigrate. Um, now, um, <clears throat> this of course opens this whole question of, uh, you know, inclusion, enlargement of the canon that we are also somehow reliving in a, under very different uh, um, coordinates today. Um, and the implicit and sometimes not so Im uh, implicit uh, mechanisms of foreclosure, um, and uh, exclusion um, that were that were uh, sort of um, operational in, in these projects, no? um, um, particularly, of course, uh, um, using the art of uh, <coughs> uh, distant uh, antiquities as well as of uh, contemporary non-European. Um, cultures sort of as a uh, anthropological raw material through which uh, the universality of Western art uh, could be asserted. So these, these uh, mechanisms uh, of mediation have of course been uh, uh, discussed in the last uh, three decades uh, and more extensively. But for us what, what was important um, or what was the motivation behind revisiting some uh, of this material and enlarging this, the, the, uh, the archival base of this discussion uh, um, uh, through this figure of Karl Einstein um, was um, to, to call, um, uh, to recall somehow that um, despite these um, mechanisms of appropriation and exploitation um, and inclusive exclusion um, uh, that were part of this matrix of this uh, uh, to use a uh, Foucauldian term that Susanne Leib has based her uh, investigation on the early uh, search of global art projects um, on the anthropological configuration, um, these, that despite the implicit um, mechanisms of uh, foreclosure and exclusion um, operational in there, um, the, uh, 
entire project participated in um, what we actually uh, situated as a uh, um, kind of forward outside of that first exhibition hall um, in a founda foundational crisis or uh, a crisis of uh, the fundaments, um, a cosmological crisis, a crisis of literally everything. No? So crisis discourse was the first sort of entry into this exhibition and um, Kulturkrise is uh, a German uh, household name for the entire early 20th century, but particularly for the Weimar period, of course, um, which has, of course, an entirely ambivalent um, status um, uh, because the, the very uh, use of this, uh, or this exhaustive use of the, uh, the crisis uh, uh, diagnosis is, uh, is somehow uh, been an important um, uh, engine of the fascization of Europe. Um, so within that, to recover both within this crisis discourse and within uh, um, primitivism of the interwar years, um, something that um, we would refer to as an ontological opening um, was the uh, sort of the, the program of that uh, uh, that project? Um, so, just a view into one of these vitrines. Uh, of course, one of the uh, uh, obsessions of the time um, for also figuring out the anthropological fundaments of art um, was uh, um, the arts of the Paleolithic. Um, of, uh, of the Ice Age, of the caves. Um, <clears throat> um, several of the vitrines were sort of devoted to the nexus between um, uh, ethnographic um, you know, classics, such as here on the le upper left, uh, the Golden Bow in the uh, short edition. Um, the entire link between um, key concepts and questions within early 20th century ethnographic research, which had really only then sort of begun to be fundamentally transformed also by fieldwork, and often that fieldwork was also somehow linked to novel understandings of art if artists hadn't been directly involved in uh, expeditions such as the Dakar Djibouti exhibition also. Um, symptomatic of which was, for instance, the writings of uh, someone who also frequently is uh, um, mentioned in Einstein's uh, notes, um, Levi Brühl, um, whose uh, theory of mystic participation was just one of many manifestations of how the discourse of um, the primitive would participate in the larger foundational crisis, which was basically a crisis um, not just of political order, of um, 
capitalist societies and of uh, imperialism at its peak in a crisis of legitimacy, um, but also a crisis of uh, all knowledge systems based on previous uh, you know, uh, uh, orders uh, frequently you know, sort of referred to as, you could say, of course it has never existed in this form, but like say, standard metaphysical dualism. Um, so this, the crisis that has hit this standard metaphysical dualism took place on all thinkable registers in, in physics and in math. Um, and the ethnographic record was just one of the other challenges um, against, particularly in Levi Brühl's work, um, you know, the, the foundational categories of logic um, and the category of the excluded third. Um, so where, where through a, pro, uh, a concept as mi mystical participation, um, something like a primordial mediality um, came into, uh, 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 entered, entered the discourse that was enabling uh, many of the, um, you know, speculatively inclined minds at the time um, for, uh, um, for rethinking um, um, yeah, the anthropological foundations of art and their political um, currency. Um, someone who, just to mention one other figure because he uh, frequently sort of uh, occurred uh, in several of these uh, contexts, um, also in previous exhibitions of uh, myself, um, where, where you can find uh, Levi Brühl mentioned as frequently as in uh, Einstein is uh, Sergei Eisenstein. Um, <clears throat> the second main part of the exhibition was then called the SO function. And that is a concept that we find in uh, Einstein's unpublished uh, um, notes. Um, there is no one sort of serious uh, longer text that he's published where he's um, actually um, <coughs> used this concept, but uh, it's something that uh, um, is uh, almost, I, I think, one of the cores of uh, uh, his early, uh, like the work he has been trying to do in the early 30s. Um, Subject-object is SO, um, and function is uh, a term that obviously has uh, um, several meanings, and Ein how Einstein uses it is not totally easy to uh, discern immediately. Um, <clears throat> so there's another figure here in the backdrop that is uh, equally important uh, at the time. Uh, um, as important that Lenin thought he had to write an entire book against him, uh, because so as fashionable was uh, his theories, that is Ernst Mach. Um, uh, and Ernst Mach, um, uh, for instance, uh, he used his, uh, uh, his, his work has been also uh, the subject of Robert Mosel's uh, dissertation. Mm. So um, important elements of 
um, the the other state in Mosul or the uh, the operational relation between um, uh, uh, several of these other key categories he uses in the Man Without Qualities um, are are uh, drawing back on Mach. Um, <clears throat> so Mach Machian. Uh, uh, functionalism is not exactly the functionalism of, let's say, uh, um, uh, the Bauhaus. No? Um, uh, it is uh, something that is um, <clears throat> much more um, tied to an anti-idealist uh, um, uh, relational anti-dualism. Um, and uh, this is what Einstein was somehow trying to get at with this formula. So here you see one of these erratic notes uh, where he has been trying to formalize it in, in some respects. No? Uh, um, <clears throat> you, you see he, uh, on the first line, um, he's Titling this page here, the, 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 the foundational types of the SO function. Um, Tom Hollard has attempted in the book to sort of decipher this, uh, uh, this formalization, this kind of quasi-mathematical formalization of uh, the SO function. Um, um, <clears throat> but I think what what we were i mean to to sort of um, just point to the most important traits of what he was trying to do there um, is um, to to think of um, the encounter between um, uh, a viewer and an artwork um, in terms of an um, in terms of, an, of, an hal, of a hallucinatory event. No? Um, here you see some of these notes on the SO function transcribed. Although, although in fact, coming from a very different and much more discernible context, um, namely discussing the, the laws of uh, visual composition, um, Paul Klee's notion of the drawing here in the right side of this page number 11 uh, of the pedagogical notebooks, um, I think to a certain degree can be mapped onto Einstein's idea of the SO function. No? This is this, this medial territory that he um, describes here where there is an uh, sort of eternal oscillation between the pathic and the poetic. Um, um, something that in the ethnography of the time of which Einstein was uh, uh, aware as so many other of the actors of the interwar avant-garde um, was also the subject of course of uh, um, you know the, this, for instance Morsian uh, uh, theories of uh, um, um, Körper techniken of uh, body techniques and the historiography of technology. Um, so giving you a brief overview of this section, the, 
the SO function was basically structured um, by vitrines that were that were sort of looking at several of these medial points or zero points or or points of uh, um, reciprocity um, or co-constitutive bringing into existence of two stable poles in an unstable turbulent encounter um, and one of them certainly was the very idea of childhood no? so childhood is such a um, uh, turbulent um, phase of originary addresses in, in which uh, um, there is not yet a stable distinction between subject and object, and this is exactly how uh, Einstein uh, um, uses it in his discussion of ARP. Um, there was a rather large sort of uh, set of displays on the on the question of mediumism, magnetism, um, uh, hallucination, uh, which was a key term for Einstein's understanding of. Uh, um, visual production and uh, hallucination also being a yet another one of these sort of uh, um, meridians um, in, in which uh, um, potentially particularly if and that was the key concern for Einstein increasingly as the uh, um, time progressed especially in the 30s um, um, particularly if um, hallucination can be thought of as a collective event. Um, so uh, what was important here for us was, was uh, in a way to trace this long mediumistic debate of the 19th century that I had also dealt with already in, in animism sort of before the, the, in, the, the, before the moment before sort of the disciplinary partitioning that would then sort of assign mediumistic and phantasmagoric uh, uh, phenomena, their respective disciplines, uh, you know, from um, uh, the esoteric uh, slash occult to uh, the discipline of psychology, um, media theory, etc. Um, <clears throat> and of course, uh, the, the, the central role that uh, concepts such as magnetism um, and uh, the medial in terms of uh, automatisms, um, et cetera, played uh, in surrealism is no, um, no secret. So the, the third point that what would be one of these um, uh, degree zeros of the SO function um, uh, was sexuality. Um, and in a, in a certain way, you could think of Einstein um, as a proto-queer theorist of art, um, especially in his texts on Paul Klee, uh, about whom he also had planned to write a book and never finished, um, but uh, wrote uh, in the art of the, of the 20th century, uh, successive editions, uh, very beautiful essays um, on uh, Klee as a sort of paradigmatic childhood cosmogonist um, uh, who, who would describe the role of the artist as sort of being um, uh, that of you know a creator of of worlds without any foundation. Um, it's a key uh, uh, topic in Sebastian Zeitler's book on Einstein uh, form uh, as revolt that uh, has uh, um, 
been published uh, during the preparations for this project as well. Um, <clears throat> so Einstein on clay was, uh, uh, for instance, describing um, the, the sort of uh, you know against the danger in clay to become sort of a, f a fairy tale private mythograph. Um, that the, uh, what was at stake in Clay's project was uh, the, um, the transformation, the metamorphosis of uh, the bodily standards. Um, uh, and Einstein also used uh, the term trans in very interesting ways, namely both to mean everything that is that we associate with the term today, um, he also coined this interesting concept, transvisual, um, but as well using it for trance. Um, so in, in, a, in a certain way, um, the entire idea of, of bringing about a new mythology through collective hallucination that marked or underwrote his surrealist phase from the late 20s till the early 30s, um, was tied to that idea. There was yet another one of these sort of zero degree uh, medialities and this is the discussion of biology. Um, also, of course, a, a highly uh, embattled field um, at the time um, as manifest in this display, for instance, through the uh, work of uh, Uxkull um, and his Umwelttheorie, but also his uh, uh, theory of uh, um, the biology of the state. Um, next to uh, a film by uh, Jean-Pain Levé, um, <clears throat> and yet again next to a vitrine with materials uh, on uh, early animation film and Sergei Eisenstein's writing, um, where the protoplasmatic uh, uh, or this, this cell that is as of yet able to become everything is uh, manifesting another one of these sort of uh, um, ecstatic points of functionality. Um, here you can see in the backdrop that basically the entire um, uh, exhibition insofar as it was um, uh, not consisting of archival materials of books, magazines, typoscripts, um, and other uh, artifacts, uh, namely the, art, the, the artworks were all sort of assembled on, or mostly assembled on this one large wall uh, um, with this kind of architecture um, through which you could, uh, you know, explore the Petersburg hanging in, uh, on two levels. Um, <clears throat> and this was in fact yet another chapter, but I'll, I'll get there in a second. Um, so a couple of uh, other installation uh, pictures here, um, a section devoted to um, uh, various uh, um, 
you know, expeditions such as the Dakar Djibouti exhibition um, or here uh, the vitrine devoted to uh, document. Um, a vitrine devoted to theories of fascism, um, particularly French theories of fascism um, and the debate uh, around Georges Sorel. Um, this is uh, where, where uh, uh, Acefal uh, secret society features, uh, among others, um, a display on, um, uh, what is it called in English, Urkommunismus, um, like primitive communism. Um, also something that um, we juxtaposed the, 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 I mean, the field of speculation that emerged basically around the transition from the Paleolithic to the Neolithic um, gave rise to these discourses also on, on, on primitive communisms, um, um, on the coming into being of uh, the social stratification, on the uh, rendering permanent of social hierarchies, um, against the, the sort of uh, cycli cyclical and uh, metamorphic organization of, uh, um, of Neolithic societies also in interaction with their, uh, with their uh, not quite permanent architectural infrastructures. Um, and we juxtaposed that here um, partially also through uh, reference to uh, works uh, um, such as this film um, uh, by Cornell, uh, By Night with Torch and Spear. Um, we juxtaposed it here to something that um, we called with uh, um, Otto Neurath um, inverted Taylorism. Um, the two actually don't have immediate connections, but it just opens a field of speculation that then brought um, you know, the discussion around economy in its relation to uh, the ethnographics through, you know, for instance, uh, Bataille's uh, work um, on excess and abundance ex uh, and the question of uh, Moss uh, and uh, the potlatch, the gift, etc., into um, a constellation um, <clears throat> that, that allowed us to somehow bind these discussions on aesthetic economies back to um, the search for alternative uh, um, or non-accumulative modes of um, exchange. Um, the final part of this SO function exhibition was then devoted really to this question of mythology and the mythopoetic sign and the, the grand failure or the kind of falling of this project of searching, although of course Breton and others were clinging on to the, to the idea for much longer. For Einstein, the idea of um, the avant-garde that he had been part of to being able to bring about a collective uh, myth to, to hallucinate into being new forms of reality, to, to, to enlarge um, or enrich the real um, through these uh, visual practices um, um, 
was already a failed project. So in Einstein's major text on this failure um, was uh, only published in the 70s uh, um, and is uh, also more or less uh, an incomplete or raw text um, and really hard to read. Um, <clears throat> and the main line of this uh, 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 convolute uh, the fabrication of fictions, a defense of the real, crossed out subtitle, um, is really that uh, this attempt had um, <clears throat> or the defeat of this uh, uh, collective mythologies or um, the the, the fate of these collective mythologies being used by the fascists exclusively had been um, uh, due to uh, <clears throat> or was owed to the fact that um, <clears throat> that in the end these um, uh, these recourses to the to the to the mythopoetic sign um, ended up being just that which they also became sort of in the post-war canon, namely pr uh, private mythologies. Um, the book is also, is not just a critique of private mythologies, um, and in that sense, everything Einstein, for instance, claimed about the, um, the poetic becoming a collective reality-producing form in the work of Georges Braque, for instance, in the so-called Braque, monograph um, is undermined in this text that he more or less wrote at the very same time. Um, um, it's also a critique of yet another one of his key investments, uh, namely the entire idea of the metamorphic. Um, um, <clears throat> and with the metamorphic of uh, the ability to transform um, both the human and uh, its relation to um, uh, the world of things. Um, because he saw in that metamorphic obsession, particularly of surrealism, although he never uh, uses that term, um, basically a mirroring of uh, the logic of capital. Um, <clears throat> so this is basically what remains uh, of, uh, uh, of Einstein's uh, trajectory in his own um, <clears throat> language, in his own uh, terms. But at the very same time, he's working on this handbook of art. Right? Um, so he's working on this handbook of art um, in a time where he has just undermined the very foundations of his own project yet another time. Um, so this is just a few more installation shots. I'm already uh, running short of time, so I'll be a bit quicker with the photos. Uh, this is uh, a work by the Czech painter Toyen, who played a major role in the exhibition and also in the book uh, with beautiful texts by Ulrike Müller, um, but also Jenny Nachtigall. Um, 
from the wider circle of the Prague surrealists, uh, uh, in which you have uh, also poets and uh, theorists such as Jan Mukarowski or uh, the link to Roman Jakobson, um, another, another Toyan work um, that is both related to this undoing of gen gender binaries um, as well as to, uh, through the title, certainly uh, uh, through this longer genealogy of thinking uh, magnetism, um, Victor Brauner. This is what I mean with the, with the captions you can't read. Um, a piece called Cette guerre morphologique de l'homme uh, from the mid-30s, a Romanian um, surrealist on the more canonical works uh, such as Max Ernst's Barbar Marchand vers l'Ouest. Um, so this whole uh, questions of the barbaric, the necessary <coughs> barbarization and the ambivalence of the t uh, theme of the barbaric <coughs> is manifest in a couple of, in the writings of Einstein, not only of Einstein, of course, but also uh, the works of uh, Ernst, but also Paul Klee. Here you see um, a drawing um, uh, we had in the exhibition called Mercenary, uh, Barbarian Mercenary, um, <coughs> where the, the barbarization was both a necessary primitivization in the face of the onslaught of industrial capitalism and its standardization and radical reduction of uh, our possible encounters with the real and our uh, access to the field of possibles. Um, but at the time where these, when these works were made given the, the, the rise of uh, uh, fascism in uh, Europe, um, this, this theme of the barbarian had already gained sort of, had already become a kipbild, a kind of multi-stable figure um, that would no longer be used uh, um, in the affirmative as part of a kind of subversive primitivism. Um, um, <coughs> Another very sort of pertinent theme that ran through the entire exhibition was concerned this in the in the relation to the cosmogonic or, um, um, uh, sort of groundless creation mythologies uh, pertinent at the time was uh, um, sort of the undoing of the dichotomy between chaos and order. You know? I mean, sort of chaos anxiety was, of course, one of the major tropes of the crisis discourse, um, especially under the ideological trope of entropy um, at the time, but uh, um, of course also in applied to and accelerated in relation to uh, um, the October Revolution and uh, <clears throat> and um, in in uh, racist terms in uh, a relation to um, <clears throat> the non-European in general. Masson, Einstein, in his writings on Brack, etc. They they articulate or. Their, their uh, use of uh, what, they, what they were trying to do 
perhaps also um, someone like Paul Clay is to move somehow um, to find a, a point of um, <coughs> departure that is that is situated almost before the opposition of chaos and cosmos comes into being. No? So an undoing of this, uh, not just a subversive use of chaos, of the forces of chaotization of, as undoing a subjectivity that was perceived as false uh, in its uh, um, um, entirety, but also um, as a way of entering into a field, into a level, a plane of emergence that would that would sort of allow for um, a different conceptualization of, of primary symbolizations, um, etc. And for Einstein, this was uh, uh, crucial, or this this was the main sort of um, uh, topic that uh, he discussed in relation to uh, Georges Braque's um, theogony. Um, so. The, the, the theogony cycle of Brack was uh, a key, uh, sort of one of perhaps the only or most direct relation established between Einstein's writing and an artist's work in the exhibition, um, where you had the typoscripts from the uh, Georges Brack monograph relating to um, this question of chaos, the question of mythopoetic animism in, in Brack's work. Um, and um, the question of uh, a sort of uh, um, <coughs> creation myth at the point zero, at uh, um, a, a deep time without guarantees, a deep time that is always folded already into the now, um, into, uh, into an absolute immediacy. Um, uh, that was the subject of this. So I'm skipping a few of these uh, just to move to the last section. Um, uh, very briefly, just mentioning a few examples. So this was basically exploring the, the link and missed encounters between um, anti-colonialism in Berlin and Paris at the time and the circle around uh, uh, Document and Einstein in particular. Um, moving from you know, the, the anti-colonialism of the surrealists, the relationship to uh, non-European surrealisms, black surrealisms, um, and the various encounters uh, um, in, in Spain during the Civil War, um, <clears throat> as well as uh, yeah, the, the kind of the journals that would be in the display cases here, among others where Legitime Defense uh, um, the uh, which the only number of which uh, of this uh, um, uh, Caribbean surrealist manifesto appeared uh, in 1932 and included, for instance, excerpts from Claude McKay's uh, banjo novel that would then provide the theme for the next display, which was dealing with the with port cities and uh, um, the literary and musical production. Um, of port cities uh, such as Marseille uh, and the, the roles that this city has, Marseille particularly played also as the, the actual um, uh, port of uh, fleeing Europe at the time. Um, yeah, so I, I think um, I should 
stop here. Yeah, maybe this is the last thing I could mention. This is uh, um, the only actual non-European artist included in Document um, was uh, uh, Kalifala Sidibe, um, someone who uh, <coughs> we chose then to include and devote a bit of uh, uh, wider treatment in the exhibition. Here you can see two of his paintings behind the screen with uh, Jean Renoir um, uh, film uh, uh, Sur une du Charleston. Um, <clears throat> and just to understand, when you, so in this vitrine related to CDB's work, um, you understand somehow how, how impenetrable this uh, circle uh, nevertheless has remained at the time. Um, um, and while people as diverse as Michel Leris and uh, Corbusier were writing uh, long essays on CDB, um, he was not even allowed to um, attend his own exhibition, which was one of the very rare exhibitions of non-European artists in Paris in the Bernheim Gallery at the time. Um, so that's, that's the slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we open up the discussion? I think so, yeah. yeah thank you oh. so much, Anselm. Incredibly um, rich and thought-provoking. I'm going to ask um, both of our respondents to come up. Um, first of all, just thank you. Uh, I imagine uh, all of us are actually digesting um, the sort of vast world that you've um, just delineated for us. Um, so I was thinking we could ask a couple of questions each, right? Um, but I thought while we were digesting that maybe uh, I could just ask a very general question. I mean, oh, I have to say as a proviso, Lauren has actually seen the exhibition and I haven't. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really at the early stages of digesting. Um, but uh, one of the things, I, I read this piece that you and Tom wrote together. Uh, and one of the things maybe that some people shared in the room, and this is a very general question, is the, the uncanny similarities between between him and Walter Benjamin. I mean, there was one point in the text when I read about his suicide, and I thought, is this actually a real, is this real or is this fictive? But I mean, that's a sort of biographical um, issue. But I think there's a lot of resonances between between their thinking, um, and like from tropes of childhood to collective um, hallucination to um, all, all kinds of things. This, this, um, also, I was thinking particularly about this relationship between the, ne the, 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 the kind of movement from the Neolithic to the present and this kind of gap between the two, sort of somehow having resonances with uh, Benjamin's own invitation of the archaic and its relationship to the present. Um, and of course, like I said, uh, his notions of childhood. Um, and I also was sort of thinking about this idea of how the transvisual, in a way, to me, had a kind of resonance with the dialectical image, or even just the dialectic, you know, this sort of uh, bringing together. Um, so I guess I was just thinking about those resonances and the ways in which this kind of undercurrent sort of runs through at least my reading of the show. Um, and I guess to move away from what you call the, the monograph, um, 
how do we how do we think through that kind of parallels? And I guess this, the second the second kind of resonance I thought of was to think about this this notion of um, Neolithic childhood, um, uh, this kind of recapitulation uh, in relation to Heckel, uh, this sort of ontogeny and phylogeny, and um, sort of thinking about how what Heckel was doing was a sort of was a was a scaled up version of the same processes of all these processes of development um, going from within a human's lives to mapping out to history. Um, but to sort of think about this idea of, of human history um, as opposed to natural history and the kind of forms that might take. Sorry, that's a bit of a mouthful of a set of no, questions. <laughs> Um, so yeah, as Aisha said, I did get to see the show and I saw it, I think, four times because I liked it so much. Um, the thing that I, I suppose I'm going to start with, I wanted to ask you something about the way in which the exhibition was structured because you have it structured around these kind of chapters, but of course as you walk through it, you do walk through it in some kind of linear fashion. Um, and with the endpoint, so the, the last room that you just talked about with the port cities and fleeing, um, that kind of brought out for me, especially listening to you talk about it again, this question of how in the whole show, you know, you're, it's circa 1930 and there's always this sort of um, spectre of fascism hovering through the whole exhibition. But one of the things that I found so productive about it is that there was never a sense of a sort of inevitability of where people would end up or how things might turn, um, which felt to me both captured in, in two ways, I suppose. So on the one hand, uh, the way in which Einstein's writing and the way that you draw this out through the exhibitions was um, seems such a kind of constantly, as you described, shifting between uh, an affirmation of certain modes of thinking like the hallucinatory or um, the metamorphic as this way in which he was thinking about someone like Brack. But then at the very same time that he's making those affirmations, he's sort of undoing them. So as you described the, the publication of the book where he kind of criticizes all that happening at almost the same time. So um, there's always this sort of undoing that's going on from the heart of any idea uh, that, that you're presented with. And how that did seem to carry through the exhibition. So um, this is a little jumbled, but, but again, to sort of emphasize that there never felt a sort of inevitability of where, um, who would become a fascist, who, you know, you start in that first room and it all feels much more unclear, which, because, I don't know, that felt to me like a really important thing for, for thinking about this exhibition in the present and um, 
the show had all sorts of resonances for me in terms of our present moment, both through the, the way in which um, a kind of forms of thought that draw on vitalism are very present within it, which of course is something that we see at the moment with new materialisms or speculative realism, but then also obviously um, our political climate being one where we see the re-emergence of politi like political formations that people are quite happy to call fascism in a way that maybe we haven't been in recent times. So, um, yeah, that was the, the sort of central resonances for me in terms of thinking about it now and how if you're dealing with a thinker who is constantly trying to undo any moment where he sort of solidifies upon a particular thought or a mode of affirmation and then it's always undone, how do you actually go about thinking about structuring an exhibition? You know, if you're dealing with something that is always having to undo itself internally. I think I, I had other things, but I'll stop there. Yeah, thanks a lot for um, these points or these vectors. I mean, I start with the last one actually because I think that that leads me also maybe to, you know for to be able to briefly position this project within a series of mm. exhibitions. So it's uh, I was sort of. Uh, it's almost as if Einstein is in a way too perfect for a subject for something I've been trying to do with exhibitions in general, which is this in, introduce into them or into the kind of agency that the, the, the form of the exhibition has this uh, um, sort of destabilization or this kind of undermining of the, mm. um, the stable foundations. Um, which, you know, there are many reasons for attempting that. No? It's, it's always, so Einstein's sort of um, often quite convoluted, but nevertheless often incredibly precise uh, mm. shifting of um, oppositional figures um, and sort of turning them upside down and folding them into another... Um, uh, is something that I think is highly productive for thinking through institutional exhibitions and museums um, as well. Of course, that's a far fetch, but it's uh, interesting to um, just trying to understand to what degree it could be done. So, um, what I'm what I'm referring to is basically that in a way what Einstein was getting at with this SO function is something that is in a way the the radical opposite of uh, anything that an institutional exhibition can contain. No? Mm. Um, uh, so, and nevertheless there is of course as, I mean, in, in, in so far as the very medium is so tied to a kind of um, rehearsing of uh, stable subject-object relations um, and you know the exact forms of standardization and uh, reification that Einstein was up against um, but on the other hand I believe that through it's just not quite at hand but there is always a counter tradition or a counter genealogy um, and and I'm, I'm just inclined to to think 
you know, to, to search for this, no? to search for moments where it's not like, on the one hand, you could say, you know, what I just said about the exhibition is, of course, true of, of almost every exhibition format, but the art exhibition has always troubled that. Because no? um, there's always been, from the very birth of the museum, a struggle between the museum and the artist, in a way. No? Um, and uh, there's always uh, been uncontrollable, mediumistic configurations in uh, uh, even in the most institutionalized, grandeurs, uh, genius-based, uh, national identity-forming uh, museum projects, um, but but to to unearth this uh, turbulent history within that is not always easy. But Einstein is a figure that makes it relatively easy to 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 sort of create a landscape around this particular moment. Um, which is in a way a rebellion, but you know, a rebellion against the institutionalization of art also at, ongoing at the very time within sort of the, the partitioning and disciplinarization. Um, <clears throat> I think, so um, I think the how of how we've done it in this particular case was already quite Explicit in, for instance, just by you know, aligning these kind of degree zeros uh, with each other. No? So, um, uh, so it is. It's. It always works in a way. You you have to stage the the same battle that Einstein uh, uh, makes us live through in his texts, which is the battle between. Um, a reductive conceptual vocabulary um, and a form of um, yeah what what in his terminology would be the enrichment of the real also, um, but deeply unsettling and throwing you into a discontinuous non-causal functionality of um, I mean there's a lot of conceptual questions attached to this of course but say this kind of to, in exhibition uh, making terms, it it is about staging a battle between the the framing discourse and um, the 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 encounter um, or the the way in which uh, the the material um, and that is not only the art but also other materials speaks to that, no? so that there's always this forked path emerging. On the one hand, a history of ideas and a political history, and on the other hand, um, something in the aesthetic encounter itself that is unbordering or or, or decomposing, and uh, or ecstatic or leads you on onto a different uh, trajectory and train of thought. So, um, in a way, this very undoing of of the dualist scenography happens all the time. Mm -hmm. The question is just to what purpose mm -hmm. and how do you create a situation in which this is not sort of, sort of, you know, to speak somehow as of, of, of a vitalist yeah. destination, mm -hmm. you know, of a desire to overcome the division, the mm -hmm. separation, and and end up with a yet another false abstraction. Yeah. Um, so you have to then be able to introduce into this experiential mode again sort of in a rupture, a break, um, 
um, and uh, that's not always apparent what how to do that um, but I think the, the most in this particular case the most uh, sort of effective um, um, is exactly this to open this field of uh, association where one's own knowledge about who's ended up where yeah. is destabilized. Um, so that, because that sort of introduces an uncertainty that amounts to a rupture within the political currency of an aesthetic experience mm -hmm. again. Um, <clears throat> I'm also inclined to think that, that you know, this sort of reifying dualism that is inscribed into the format of the exhibition can be repurposed and reused uh, uh, to exactly these ends in, mm -hmm. in general. Uh, so that rather than you know, trying to break out of this format, it's, uh, you know, by, you know, say, like historically, you know, how has this been done? Breaking out for real or yeah. animating it or yeah. um, it's about sort of inverting it or putting it, uh, using the split um, to, uh, to other ends mm -hmm. um, as an analytical rupture. Mm -hmm.